Hebrews chapter 13. I'm going to read the first six verses, but today we're only going to get through the first couple. But these are a collective unit, and so I'd like to read them all together. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to open your word and to hear from your word. And I pray, Lord, that you will speak that you will teach us what you would have us to know about living in your house. We are privileged to be your children. And I pray, Lord, that our lives are shaped by your word, by your gospel, and that we will conform gladly, willingly, joyfully to what we see here. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Every house has its own set of rules. Probably many times you've walked into another person's home and as soon as you walk in there, you ask a question, should I take my shoes off or is it okay for me to leave them on? And in some homes, people want you to take your shoes off and in others, they, they ask for you to remove them. But that's just the surface level stuff. For the members of the house, the people who live there every day, there are all sorts of rules that they live by, whether they realize it or not. Every home has its rules. A morning routine, an order to things, when they eat dinner, when or if technology is allowed. I know that some of the homes here have occasionally instituted a, a no technology day, certain rules for their house. There are times to go to bed, certain foods that aren't eaten, words that aren't spoken, things that aren't to be done. And so in some ways, when you walk into another person's home, they live differently than you do. They, they have certain rules that you don't keep in your house. It's almost as if you've walked into another country or into another world. But for those in the church, we who have the same father the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are certain house rules that we should all be able to identify with. House rules that govern the way that we interact with one another because they point us to the way that we will be living forever together in the kingdom of God. We were just taught in the previous passage, last week we looked at this, that even though we live in a material world, we are spiritually present right now in heaven. That's where we are in a sense. We are there in the throne room of God on Mount Zion with Jesus Christ, our Savior. So it should make sense to us that we are being conformed now to live as though we are already present here. 
We're being shaped right now here in this material world to live in God's house permanently, where we will be forever together. There are house rules in heaven that we will gladly obey without a second thought into eternity. And because the Spirit of God has been placed inside of His people already, we begin to live out the heavenly house rules while we are here on earth. That's what we are being taught here in these final verses of Hebrews. How are we to conduct ourselves in the Father's house? What we see here are the ways that God's children know that they please him. The things that we do that please our Heavenly Father. And don't we want that? Hopefully that's our hearts this morning. Each one of us wants to please our Heavenly Father, to do what honors Him, to rejoice in knowing that He is pleased with what we do. A child with a pure heart loves to please her father. I'm not talking about a child who tries to outperform the other kids in the house in order to get first place or to get attention. I'm talking about the child that loves to do what pleases her dad just because she delights in pleasing her dad. I like for things to be given to me in very simple terms. And fortunately, God does that for us in his word. A man came to Jesus one day and asked him what the greatest command in all the Bible was. And do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus gave him a bonus. He went ahead and gave him the second greatest command too, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, where did Jesus get that? How did he know that those are the greatest commands? Well, he was the God-man after all, but they did come from God's law. The Old Testament law. And if you take all of those Old Testament laws and you boil them down into two primary commands, that's what you have. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. And if you know the Ten Commandments, that's what you will see there too. The first four commands tell us what it looks like to love and worship God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. But then the last six... Those last six commands given there, they tell us how to properly love our neighbor, how to love our brother. And so when you start to look at the house rules for God's people, we should not be surprised here in the New Testament to find the same theme. If you have your Bible open, I hope you do. Look just above where I read today to the last verses there in chapter 12. In verse 28, we're told what should be our right response to the Lord and the place that he has given to us in his house. What are we told there? It says that we are to worship with reverence and awe. That's what we're commanded to do because of what God has done for us and because of the place that we now have in the heavenly halls of Mount Zion. This should be our response from our heart, worship, delight, awe, reverence. That is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, 
mind, and strength. That's worship. And now as we move into the next verses, what do we see? We're told there in verse 1, what? Let brotherly love continue. Bring me down just a little bit, please, up there. Let brotherly love continue. And what is that? Love your neighbor as yourself. We were just told in those previous verses that the day will come when God shakes everything. When he returns to the earth, when Jesus returns, there is going to be a great shaking. Things on earth are going to be shaken. And the only things that will remain are what are eternal, heavenly things. Those things will continue to stand. And it may be a play on words here when we're told, let brotherly love continue Because it could be translated, let brotherly love remain. It will remain. So we begin doing now, loving our brothers, loving our sisters in Christ here with heavenly love that will last forever. That stuff's going to stay. Other things are going to fall away. All that is evil in this present world will be shaken out like a dirty blanket. You've done that before. You've picked it up and you shook it out and all the stuff fell out. That's what God's going to do when he comes back. This world's going to get shaken. But the brotherly love of the children of God will stick around forever. And that will characterize the way that we interact with each other as we live in the presence of God here today, but also into eternity. So this command to let brotherly love continue or remain This is going to go on and on and on. So big picture, the broad overarching rule in God's house. This is the rule of the house. It could be said like this. In God's house, his children will love one another. And I said I like things simply. That's pretty simple, isn't it? You might think, well, that's pretty obvious, actually. Well, maybe. But then we're told some things that follow behind this statement that put some flesh on those bones. What is it, like what does brotherly love in in the Father's house look like? A little more specific would help, would it not? Well, that's what we're given. And it looks like this. Verse 2. We're told that brotherly love will look like Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Try to imagine for a moment what this ancient world would have looked like. Travel was extremely dangerous. Jesus told a parable about this once. We know it as the Good Samaritan, and I think that he told this because it would have been so common. There was a man who was traveling along the road. He was attacked and robbed along the way and left for dead. I don't think this was all that uncommon back then. When people traveled, there was a fear for their safety. You didn't have a credit card on you, and you didn't have traveler's checks. How many of you all even remember traveler's checks? A few people things that we have in our modern world to help us to guard our money from theft. 
Back in that day, they carried it on them, and everybody knew it. If you're traveling, you have to have it with you. Thieves knew that. So old world hotels were places where there was plenty of bad activity that went on. And Christians were to be known as those people who were trustworthy and generous to travelers. Using their homes to provide a safe place for others to stay, especially those people in the house of God. And if you read the New Testament letters, you'll see things like this. When such and such gets there, welcome him. Bring him into your house. Take care of him. This is a brother. Don't have him go out there and stay in a dangerous place. Take care of him yourself. Welcome him into your home. And so these first century Christians were told to be hospitable to strangers. And look at the reason that he gives here that follows that statement. He says that some people in the past, as they have shown hospitality to strangers, have welcomed angels into their homes when they did not know it. And surely right here he has Abraham on his mind. If you were to go back and read the story of Abraham, you'll see that he sat at his tent, at the door of his tent one day, and three men came along, and he said, come on in. Come on into my house. Don't pass by here. Turns out those three men were angels, one of them the angel of the Lord. And Abraham quickly rounded up food for these people. He told one of his servants to kill a calf and have it prepared. And he came and told his wife, get some cakes ready for them. So he was hustling out there to ensure that these men did not pass by his home and that he took good care of them. And while they were there, not only were the angels blessed by Abraham, he received a great blessing from them. And so we're told here that it might just be that while you're serving others, that you just might be the one who receives the greater blessing from God. And maybe you've experienced something like that in the past. You went through a lot of trouble to give blessing to someone else, but in the process you realized you were the one who actually received the greater blessing. It comes in unexpected ways and in unexpected times. But what's the essence of hospitable love? What impulse is driving it? It's generosity with the gifts that God has given to us. We have been blessed by God with things and so often what we do is we think that those things are simply for ourselves. But here we are being told that is not the case. That we are to use our things that God has given to us to bless others. And so this command, you know, we might read it and think, hospitality, yeah, sure, I'll let people come into my home from time to time. But a lot more is being said here than just opening the doors to your house. And so this is going to push back against some of the fleshly impulses that we have and against some of the cultural impulses that we have as well. Because that fleshly impulse is to see everything that I have in my hands as mine. It's mine. And so often we're told, you know, you deserve it too. You've earned it, you deserve it. Nobody can tell you what to do with it. And no doubt the things that we have, they are our own as personal property, but as children in God's house, everything that we have 
we know that it has been given to us by him. It has flowed into our hands through his hands. My children, they have things that are theirs. But all of those things that they call theirs, where did they come from? They flowed into their hands through their mother and me. As a member of the Atwood home. And I do expect that those things that they have, that they call theirs, to be used and handled in a way that honors our home and fits the ethic of our home. The way we live, the way we do things. They can't just do whatever they want with them. And so even more so, as the children of God, this should apply to us. We should understand where everything we have comes from. And I get it. You go out, you work hard, it's yours, right? But even the desire to work hard, even the ability to work hard, where did that come from? It comes from the Lord. It comes from Him. And it should color, then, how we see and how we use our possessions. And if those early Christians were being told to use their homes as a blessing to other people, how, then, should we begin to see our homes? our cars, our money, our property. We can receive good things from God and enjoy them ourselves. We should receive them as a blessing, but there is an element where we always need to be on the lookout for how we can bless and take care of someone else in generosity. This is a mark of brotherly love, how we use our things. The Apostle Paul has something helpful to say along these lines in Ephesians. Listen to what he has to say here. He says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. He's talking about gospel transformation right here. He's saying there used to be a way that you were. Back before you knew Christ, you lived a particular way. There was an old man back there. What was he like? He used to steal. He was a thief. He didn't work hard with his hands. He took from other people because he was a selfish man. But what's happened now? Now that you do know Christ and the heart of God is inside of you, now you go out there and you start working honestly with your own hands. But if you notice what he said there, he said, it's not just for yourself. You're not a selfish man anymore. And so now when you work, you start to set things aside so that you may have something to share with other people who are in need. This is how the gospel changes us to be more like our heavenly father as we live in his house. The gospel does that. It teaches us about generosity, a God God who has a generous heart. So we're not going to be thieves anymore. We're not going to be takers. We're going to be hard workers doing honest labor with our hands, but always on the lookout for how we can take care of somebody else with what we have earned. It's not simply mine. It's mine to be used in a way that pleases my Father. This is brotherly love. It's practical brotherly love. His things are a conduit for his own love to flow toward others through us. So they're not just things. 
Not in the scheme of God, not in the house of God. These are not just things. These are ways that God can love other people through us. And we're not told to just keep nothing for ourselves and give away all we have and live in poverty, no. But we are told to kill off the selfish impulse inside of us that will see our things as simply our own and change us to begin looking for ways to be generous to other people. That's the kind of love that is underneath the house rules that we see here in Hebrews to show hospitality to strangers. And in some ways, it's just much more challenging than simply to be told you need to open up your house once a week and let people in. It's a way for seeing all of your possessions according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in God's house, his children will love one another by generously meeting needs. That's the way that love is to look When somebody comes into this church and looks around, they shouldn't see just a bunch of silos, islands, but people who are willing to share what they have with other people. Not commanded to do so and told how they're supposed to do that. You're supposed to give 50% of everything you got. No, God, he doesn't doesn't make it that simple for us. He simply tells us to have a generous heart and then leaves the application to his people. And so I ask you this morning, what has God given to you that you can use to help someone else? What has God given to you? Because remember, he gave it. He has a purpose for it. What does he want to do with it, with what he has placed in your care? And it's not always your property. Because some of you might say, you know, I don't have anything. (laughs) Nothing here. I'm the one that's always in need. And even if that is true, you still have ways to give if you are willing to look. You have gifts and talents. There is a man in this church who has helped multiple people by doing breaks on their car multiple people who were sitting here. There have been ladies who have gone and helped clean and organize in somebody else's home because that person could not do so well. There's a lady in our church who makes soup, and when she does, she makes sure that she takes it to other people who might enjoy it as well. These are generous good works that the church is called to that fulfill the sweet command that we are given here to love our brothers and sisters. And this is a love that will remain forever. And so will you take some time to inventory what God has given to you and ask him to show you how you can bless the people around you. And again, this is going to push back against just, I think, I think probably an impulse of fear that's there with a lot of folks. We're afraid sometimes to give because we think that we're going to be without. I often will have that own fear, that, that fear in me. 
And what it can do, it can cause us to hold on to our things, to grasp them, to not turn them loose, because we don't think we're ever going to get anything back. If I let go of that, it's, it's going to be gone forever. Well, maybe. But we have to understand that there will be a blessing in the giving, and we know that our Heavenly Father is going to provide for everything that we need. And maybe what we're afraid of so often is we're afraid of turning loose of our excess. We like having that buffer. We like having that margin. We like having that there that makes us feel secure. I can't let that go. Almost like anything but that, God, because that makes me afraid. But we forgot how that got into our hands in the first place. God put it there. And did he put it there just to make you feel secure? We've talked about this as a church here recently. God has blessed this church with resources. And then we often, what we see, we see our balance sheet and we think to ourselves, that makes us feel really good that we've got a lot of buffer sitting there. But we've begun having a discussion here recently that, is that really why God has given that money to us? So that it just sits in a bank account and we feel good every business meeting saying, look how it grew. Or are we going to ask the question, why is that there? And what can we do with it to grow the kingdom of God and demonstrate love to people in very practical ways? So we want to think through that. And if we're thinking through that as a church on a larger scale, then certainly the people inside the church are being commanded to do the same. How can you use your things and your talents and your gifts to bless people to demonstrate the love of God? That is what is underneath this command. Love is generous. And shouldn't we expect to see that knowing where the command comes from? Our God is generous. Our God is generous. He generously gave to us how? In the sending of his Son. Tremendous. He did not withhold what he was able to provide for others in need, for me and for you, when we were needy beggars, deserving nothing. We're told constantly, we deserve this, you deserve this. Well, in the economy of God, we deserve nothing but judgment for our sin. But the heart of God yearned to give mercy, and so he sent his son. God's heart loves like this in ways that we often struggle to understand. He generously gave to us out of a heart of love. And so our giving that we are being commanded to here, our giving is grounded in his. It's a family trait. All the kids in my house have blue eyes. Why? Because their mom and dad have blue eyes. They bear our image. When we bear the Father's image, we reflect his heart and we do the things that he does. And what has he done? Oh, he has given generously, freely, radically. And the perfect son came to model that for us in the giving of his life. 
And so as we watch him, as we look at him, we see him in God's word, and we have his spirit, we are told, we delight as his people to do the things that he did or like he did. And so the gospel of God's generous love shapes his children into what? Into a generous people of love. That's what we should expect in the Father's house because it's who he is and it is what he is teaching his children, us, as we look to his son, Jesus. And if we are good learners and our hearts are open and they're humble, this is what we should see. This is what he should see. And so how are you and how can you Bear the image of God in generosity. And we need God's wisdom to know how to implement this, how to do it skillfully, wisely. But love is going to be the driving force behind it to delight, to meet the needs of others out of the love that God our Father has so freely, generously given to us. These are house rules. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we can come together and see in your word your desires for your church, for your children. You show us your generosity toward us, and sometimes we take it for granted. Sometimes we forget how meaningful and powerful it is that you have sent your son to us. They can just become words that we repeat again and again. But I pray, God, that the gospel would impact our hearts this morning, that we were needy and desperate and without hope in the world apart from you. Have our hearts this morning by showing us how generously you have given to this people. You have made it possible for us to enjoy a grand inheritance forever in heaven alongside of you rejoicing in your son. And no, we did not deserve it, but you delighted to give. And so what we should see down here in this little outpost called Kaz Church, we know God as we see in your word, you want to see a generous people. And that you might use your generosity through us to impact others for the sake of the kingdom. And no, we may not have a ton here, but we've got willing people. Or at least give us willing hearts here. And do a great work in South Buffalo and in western New York through the people who call themselves Kaz Church. Lord, please have your way in us, and we see that your way is generosity. And as we give, we are not expecting that we're just sowing some seed so that we get a lot back in return. We are not asking God with selfish motives. You do promise us your joy. And so as we give, give us confidence that you are going to supply everything that we need. But we also, God, ask that you will bless us with your joy as we give, to delight, to meet the needs of others. And we ask this in the generous name of Jesus. 
Amen.